Orange is the New Black Season 3, Episode 8 is over. And we are just getting in the van and heading out to the hardware store here on Post Show Recaps. Let's pick up some donuts. I can't wait to get some donuts, but we are going to, you know, out of respect for O'Neill, we're going to avoid the red velvet altogether. Sure, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so Taylor Cotter. Yes. I really got to know. Are you Team Rod Cocker or are you Team Gilly? I wish I had more information, but I think from what I can glean here, I think I'm Team Gilly, right? How could you not? Yeah, I mean, he's clearly the Jacob of the ti- of the love triangle. Yeah, he's like, he just wants to fall in love so bad and uh, it's been taken away from him. So, oh my God, what a perfect like companion piece. I can't wait until they, <laughs> like, this is going to have to be released on some medium at some point, right? Oh, but this is the kind of thing that, in your imagination, it's going to be so much better than anything they could throw at you. Oh my gosh, yeah, the third orifice is a wormhole. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, I'm so into this. He's humping all these other women in all other dimensions simultaneously. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really, it's a beautiful, intricate universe that um, S.R. Warren has been creating here. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I can't wait to, like, I, like, I... Yeah, they probably, I hope they wrote it and they did create this universe and it's not just all jokes because it's so perfect and funny that uh, it could it could definitely sell copies if they released it as an ebook. I would read it. Yeah, why not, right? Yeah, although I, I'm i still waiting for the setup to that penguin joke, so, you know, I might be waiting mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah, true. I yes. forgot about that. So, you might, we might as well start here because we get some... We get some moments from Poussey that are a little bit wrenching and a little bit... Like, Poussey is one of my favorite characters, and I'm sad that she's having such a rough time this season. Yeah, I agree. I've always liked Poussey. She's always been one of my favorites, and so she's super invested in Suzanne's uh, erotica. And uh, it's just very clear that she's trying to find a place for herself. And this has been... This has been her arc for a while that she is in love with or she was in love with Tasty and Tasty could not reciprocate. So she's just trying to find her place. And like she's found, you know, she started drinking very heavily. She's like kind of explored some different stuff. Her books were taken away. The one thing she cared about. So she overinvested herself in this dumb uh, fan fiction type novel that Suzanne was writing. And uh, then, you know, has... I guess, at the end of the day, join the cult. Yeah, and I guess when you're in that situation, you look for acceptance wherever you can find it. That was kind of the theme of the last episode. Yeah, I think we shifted from the themes being all mom stuff to all, uh, like, a search for belonging. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be one of the overarching themes that we're getting into in the second half of the season. And I am very relieved that Poussey is not still mooning over Tasty because that could have gotten really old really fast. Like if she couldn't get past it, it seems like she has gotten past it and she just wants to move on to the next thing, which I like much better. Yeah, that's much more interesting. And I kind of like I felt for Tasty a little bit here, too, that like I remember like, you know, like if you have a friend or something that's going through a hard time and you want to be like, am I enough for you? Like, I love you. Is that okay? And they're just like. No, like, I need something more. Like, that's a hard place to be in, too. Yeah, it's it's really no win for both yeah. of them. 
it seems very real. It's like a very real kind of 20 something situation in the confines of a prison. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the interesting things about the prison setting is the way that it really compresses everybody's emotions and kind of amplifies them as a result. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. You don't have the, you're not going to work for eight hours a day. You're not, uh, you know, talking to your family or you know, all you're doing. It's like a little big brother, you know, like you're spending so much heightened time with this group of people that, uh, your everything is uh, exaggerated. Yeah, I mean, I went to boarding school. I know, I know what's up. Oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Should write a, write a pilot. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants a pilot about that. It was just, it's just kind of miserable and insular. And we have Orange Is the New Black for miserable and insular, and it's much funnier too. Oh, good. Yeah, but yeah, and you relish those moments like any time you can get out and see something different, experience some tiny taste, some tiny, dare we say, powdered sugar-encrusted mm. taste of the outside world. And so we get uh, Charlie Bag of Donuts and Pennsylvania <laughs> have struck yeah. up an interesting friendship here. So weird, right? And, like, I'm always waiting for, like, the next romance to happen. So, like, my things are like, are they, is she into him? Is he into her? What's happening? And, like, I don't know if that was the case. Like, it was just kind of a, a thing that happened. Petsutaki does not strike me as the kind of person who is ever into anybody. No. Like, she seems so asexual to me. Yeah, she definitely, she's never had, like, a romantic interest. Um but in I kind of love her uh, on that level because like she's very like unabashedly herself and like I, I like if I um, am like dating somebody or like if someone is like interested in me personally like I never have any idea so like it's so refreshing here just like talking about regicide and like all this random stuff I'm like oh I would do that too and be totally oblivious if someone was like trying to make a move on me so so you think he is into her. I think, uh, like, I don't know if he's into her, into her, but I think he's interested in the relationship and, like, what's going on. Like, you don't just go take anyone to feed ducks. That's true. That is a big step. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I love that she is just, in a lot of ways, she's a big kid. Yeah. She's a big, like, hopped up on Mountain Dew kid. And she'll run around and, like, pretend to be a duck and catch bits of donut in her mouth and have this, like, ten-minute conversation about the political implications of an anthropomorphic maple log selling donuts. That was awesome. Oh, that felt so real. I love those kind of sides. Yeah, so maple log, that is a thing, right? Because my husband, born and bred in New York City, had never seen a maple log until last year. I don't know. Is it like a donut? Yeah, it's like, it's basically, it's kind of like a bear claw. It's a long, skinny raised donut with maple frosting on the top. Okay. At, like, Dunkin' Donuts, they have, like, they call them, like, glazed sticks or chocolate sticks. Yeah. It's probably similar to that. Yeah. It's very similar to that. And I had been under the impression that this was a universal thing, but I am told now that, especially on the eastern seaboard, it is not really. No, yeah. I'm all Massachusetts, so if they don't sell it at Dunkin' Donuts, then (laughs) I probably don't know about it. Yeah, I was in Dunkin' Donuts just this morning, and I can assure you they do not. Yes. Yeah, but I, I'm i always a big fan. Like, this is one of my pet peeves is, like, anytime there is a, you know, 
an anthropomorphic food object selling out its own people. Mm-hmm. Like that's that bothers funny. me. We've got a we've got a barbecue joint up in East Harlem that I walk by sometimes, and there's a cartoon pig holding a plate of ribs, mm-hmm. and I don't know why people don't think that's horrifying. It is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, he uh, the donut guy. What do we know? His I wrote down his last name. Coates, and his Coates, first name yeah. is Charlie. Charlie Coates. Uh, so I'm just yeah. going to call him Charlie Bag of Donuts. Yes, yes. He uh, he gets it. He totally he understands the implications of that logo. Yeah. And Does he own the donut shop? If he owned the donut shop, he probably wouldn't need to pick up a second job as a That's, prison guard. Yeah. Well, who knows? Local business is struggling. <laughs> I suppose, but, but I think he is just the he is just the purveyor of the donuts. He is not the you know corporate overlord. Makes sense. Yeah, and you know he seems a little bit tone deaf, and I would I would imagine somebody that was a business owner would have a little bit more authority. That's true. But he needs he needs Pensatucky to like take him by the hand and show him everything that needs to be done around here. Yeah. So, and I guess this is all implication of uh, Caputo is trying to train these guards, and uh, Burbigs won't have it. So they have to find out what they're supposed to do from the inmates, which yeah. is a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, and anybody else in that position, when he says, you know, I'm supposed to, am I supposed to leave you here in the van? And she's like, oh, sure, just leave me here unattended. No, of course not. What the hell's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah, he's lucky that he got Pensatucky, who's so desperately honest. Yeah, and you know, in a show that goes out of its way over and over to show us that guards and inmates can't ever be really friends, this is such a... Like, it seems so innocuous and so harmless to have the two of them bantering the way they do. It's like the least, um, it's the least toxic of the guardian-mate relationships that we've seen thus far. Yeah, so far, for sure. Less toxic than Red and Healy. Definitely, if, I would say, uh, as far as toxicity goes, Porn Stash is probably the worst. Yup. Then Healy and Luchek are tied for number two. Then Caputo... Yeah. Then everyone else? Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And uh, Susan, she was bitten somewhere between everyone else and Caputo, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And that was the power rankings I'm sure yeah. everyone and was waiting for. <laughs> I, think, I think at the bottom of the power rankings is probably Birdie. Yeah, she's wonderful, and all she wants to do is help people. Does she really have a master's in psychology? I think you'd have to to get a job in that system. But didn't she say she was like a cosmetologist? She was kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> like she, she was completely kidding. I think she was messing with everybody when she said that. Gotcha. I think. That, yeah, that's fair. I uh, like. I thought maybe she was kidding when she said she had the masters, but that makes a lot more sense the other way around. <laughs> yeah, she's good enough at her job that I don't doubt her credentials. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, but Healy, on the other hand, like he may have a master's in social work, but it might be from like the University of Phoenix. Yeah, he is uh, he is a little bit not the most social person ever. Yeah, I think he I might have gotten to... he might have like tested out of people skills 101 by, <laughs> you know, cheating on it. Yes. Uh it's a yeah, Healy can't handle Soso, who's probably like the most one of the easier ones around that she's just like I'm depressed and have no friends and he gets her some antidepressants and uh Birdie is not not thrilled about that. 
Yeah, you can't just throw medication at someone who's depressed when their depression is clearly not chemical. It's totally causal. Exactly. And yeah, Soso is young. She's just having a hard time in prison like most of them are. So it seemed, you know, definitely a, a rash choice. Yeah, but what is Healy's problem with Birdie, anyway? I still don't really know. Like, I can understand, like, okay, he feels threatened by someone coming in and being a woman and being able to relate to the women in the prison better than he can, but, like, he's he's never, like, expressed any sort of problem with the other female COs. So I don't know why, in particular, it's her. Yeah, like, he does have some women issues that we've seen, but he was fine dealing with, like, he seems to get along fine with, like, Belle. He got along fine with Fisher. Is he racist? I don't know. Like, we, we've we seen him make a couple of off-color comments. So right. So maybe. But it could also be that he fancies himself someone who's trying very, very hard in a system that really works against him at every single turn. And he wants to feel like he's doing the best he can. And then in Waltz is Birdie, who actually, she has the same ideals, but she succeeds where he fails. Yeah, she can execute. But I don't know why he would have a problem with her right out of the gate, if that is the case. Exactly. Like, he never, he didn't know, like, I guess, like, if he could read it on her, maybe, he just knew she was charismatic, uh, but... I don't think he's that good at reading people, to be honest. exactly, yeah, so... I would love to have seen an inciting incident there, but I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, we'll get something. Yeah, maybe we'll someday we'll get a Healy flashback that's not just like his crazy mother with the yellow wallpaper. So. Yes, exactly. I wish we got. I don't uh, anticipate that flashback coming, and I wish we were about to get it, just because Healy has been pretty secondary this season. Yeah. Yeah, and I can't. I still can't tell. Like, are we supposed to be rooting for him, or are we supposed to hate him? I don't know, and I've oh. never really known. Yeah, I, I think that that must be the point. Unfortunately, yeah, because he, ra- he's one of I, those hyper sympathetic characters, right? That always looks like he's about to cry. Yeah, I'd rather it be just spelled out for us. Be like, this is a good guy or this is a bad guy because, you know, I'm an idiot and I don't want to work that hard (laughs) to figure it out. But, um, yeah, it's, I guess, yeah, can't complain about a complicated character. I'm all four shades of gray, but I need, I need the gray to be like a little bit light or a little bit dark from time to time. He's like medium gray. Yeah, especially because like, I assume he's going to be around for a while and like, you think like someone who you've watched for three seasons on a show that we will, he's been in almost every episode. He's been a crucial character that we would feel like we know him or we at least know his like sensibilities. And I still don't. And that's not a knock on. I don't, I think that's on purpose. Yeah. And to be totally fair, like on the scale of, you know, if we're power ranking, again, this is the power ranking everybody's clamoring for. Like, how interesting are the goings-on of the staff at Litchfield? I would say I am the most invested in Healy. Yeah, I think so. Like, it's certainly, it's much better than many of the other things. Like, I would say O'Neill and Bell are my favorite. And then I'm secondarily probably the most interested in what goes on with Healy. Yeah, I would say for me, Healy and Bell are, like, great characters, and they're funny and interesting, uh, but they're not, like, the 
deep dive of a human character study that Healy is. Yeah. They're a little bit comic relief. Yeah, we're never getting a an O'Neill and Bill flashback. I know, which is a real shame. Yeah, more is the pity there. Right. Yeah, but let's go to the bottom of the HR power rankings here. The least interesting thing. Here comes uh, Burbiggs. And you know we love Burbiggs, but we don't love him here. He's terrible yeah. here. Yeah, and we find out that he got this job, of course, because his dad works there. Yeah, and this meeting, this was brutal. Okay, I gotta, I gotta put a, I gotta put an anecdote in here because I've, I've recently gotten my husband into watching Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, which is one of my all-time favorite shows. And he watched the entire run of Next Generation, just finished that, and I said, "Okay, we're gonna watch DS Nine now." And there's a character on DS Nine, is Miles O'Brien, who's the chief of operations, and in the first few episodes of the series. Every single episode is somebody coming to O'Brien with a new problem that he has to fix over and over. It's like, I thought you were going to fix this. Why haven't you fixed this other thing? And some new thing is breaking and he's running around all the time. And my husband, who works in IT support, says to me, you know that I watch TV to escape from my real life. <laughs> and this is how I felt at the watching the MCC meeting. Yes, yes. And I saw one of our commentators posted uh, when we first started complaining about the HR stuff. He's uh so like, oh, this reminds me of my life. And I was like, yeah, it does. Like, yeah. I work in an office. This is, like, I could be, if I wanted this, I would watch a House of Lies or whatever. Like, I, um, But, yeah, it's so, like, I understand the purpose of what they're doing. And they're painting Berbiglia as, like, this very, uh, like, complex is so not the right word. But, like, um... Uh, confused motives, maybe, like that mm-hmm. he's, you know, straddling between caring about the business and caring about the prison. Um, but, like, oh, yeah, it was funny. Like, the nuances of the meeting were a little funny, like the fruit on the table and that kind of stuff. But, yeah, watching passive aggression is not super entertaining for yeah. me. If I want passive aggression, you know, I'll go hang out with my in-laws. hey hey No, my in-laws are great. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean that. Um, so I, I thought it was very funny when uh, Rubiglia goes to Caputo and he says, uh, what's with this uptick in kosher meals? Like, why are all these people Jewish all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. And Caputo's like, oh, my God, Daddy, you can't just ask people why they're Jewish. <laughs> that my, my favorite line ever might be, like, oh, we put we put stars on all of them, but that didn't work out. Uh, like, I was like, oh, Caputo. He, Caputo is on his last legs with this guy. He is super unhappy with him and really has totally realized what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah, but we had to sit through this whole boring meeting to kind of get the final takeaway from this is that the prison industry doesn't care about any of the prisoners. It cares about the bottom line for this quarter and not for anything that happens in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be, I think that is the bigger problem. And I think they might as well have just like had a flashing marquee across the bottom of the screen that says, you know, this also happens in real life. Right. Yeah, it's very heavy handed and it's fine. Like, I very much appreciate taking a social stance on what's happening here because, like we kind of said in the last episode, there is a lot 
of context to doing a show about women in prison. And some of that context is like the personal stories of these women. And some of that context is like how this fits into like the greater, you know, American landscape. Yeah. That being said, I feel like they are, they're a hitting us over the head with their message and B giving us a very, very narrow look at like how something like this happens. Yeah. Which I think what they're really hoping, and I think this is the hope of any show that gets at all political, is that you will be intrigued by this sufficiently that you will go out and seek out more information. You know what show I stopped watching because they kind of got way too political was um, Big Love on HBO. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is starting to remind me of that a little bit. That I was like, okay, like, I, I get I get it. <laughs> like, well, I don't... Uh, and it's not even that I disagree. Like, I... I agree with what they're saying. And I think that's almost more frustrating (laughs) because I'm like, yeah, I I understand that you don't have to continue explaining this to me. Like I, I get that this is problematic. Yeah. It really, like we said last episode, this is a very fine line you have to tread. Like you need to have enough pathos to make it emotionally engaging. You need to have enough political meat to keep people caring and to get people kind of enraged. And you need to have enough levity to keep them entertained. And all those three things are constantly juggling. And I think sometimes they drop the ball a little bit. And this is one of those times. Yeah. And I think that they're a little bit preaching to the choir. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the demographics for Orange is the New Black are, you know, already kind of tending progressive so uh i don't know if they need to do as much convincing as it seems like they're trying to do yeah well that's the progressive agenda in a nutshell yeah they are very good at convincing and not so good at galvanizing makes sense yes yeah like but you know unlike many of the rest of us that don't really know where to go with this feeling that we have at least caputo can sublimate his rage at the system through his music i was thinking about the other people inside boob and if like caputo came and was like i just i'm so mad about work i would be like okay (laughs) 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 whatever (laughs) like i wonder how empathetic they are to his struggle because but i mean uh you are the warden (laughs) seems like it might be a, a a real hit yeah, it'd be nice. Got a little radio airplay, and you see Danny Pearson driving to work, turns on the radio. That would be the best. That would be the best. Um, especially, like, I thought this was such a corporate America thing to do, to, like, he comes in, and he's trying to figure out how best to break this news that, you know, they're not getting shit. And he calls Caputo, and instead of telling him anything about, like, I tried, you know, I'm sorry, he's able to just, like, rage at him for leaving early. Yep. And he doesn't have to address any of the actual problems. That's so corporate America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poor Caputo. He's been the real hero of this season. Yeah, and, you know, he was so creepy the first time we saw him that it is a real feat. I would say Caputo is second only to Pensatucky as far as, like, characters we didn't like the first time we saw them that we now are very invested in and are rooting for very hard. I know. And do you think Caputo's gotten maybe more airtime than anyone else this whole season? Yeah, it really, it has been the Caputo show. I think he's getting more airtime than Piper. Definitely, definitely. Well, Piper did get her moment this episode. Yeah, she got her soliloquy. Yeah, and it was, 
I don't know, maybe I should take Piper's advice and not be so self-conscious about these things, but I thought it was pretty gross. Yeah, it was, (laughs) Piper was weird. And, like, again, like, we talked about her motives a little bit last time, and, like, her motives are not strong enough for this to make sense. (laughs) So, uh, it's like, I get it, and I get what she's trying to do here, but uh, I don't know if this is the the feminist platform that uh, the prison needs right now. Yeah, not really. Although, you know, props to her for cornering the market on the ramen. Yeah, that was smart. And I guess that's why you need you need that commissary dough, because you, you never know when you need to bribe everybody. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's, from a sociological standpoint, I think it's very interesting to see, um, you know, what passes for currency and how do you acquire power? Mm-hmm. And it, it actually, you know, if I'm going to... I'm going to have another moment where I compare this to some literature that I never thought I'd find myself comparing to Orange is the New Black. But in uh, the Philip Jose Farmer's series River World, the premise is like all everybody that's ever lived on Earth gets resurrected in this place where all they have is like a food bucket that gets filled once a day and everybody is naked and they're all chained to their food bucket. And then it's like, how do people claim power and what do they create as currency and what do they find in this world that helps them like build their own society. And I think prison is also a lot like that. You come in with nothing and how do you acquire power? Yeah, exactly. And we saw that really in like the very first episode of the series with Piper and red. And when she made that lotion, um, it's like, you have to be innovative and Piper though. She stole, uh, what is that woman's name? The, the one that came up with the idea for the ramen packets. Oh, uh, that's DeMarco. DeMarco, yeah, poor DeMarco got real screwed in this situation, but uh, yeah, Piper was able to co-opt that idea and find a way to utilize it. Yeah, I mean, she is nothing if not opportunistic. Yeah, I did like Big Boo when Piper like <laughs> explains all the details and like she's like, and you will keep all the money. <laughs> like The yeah. very obvious flaw in Piper's plan was just outed right away. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, that, that encouraged Piper to get up on her soapbox and give us this speech that, you know, is even underscored with patriotic music. And I was thinking the whole time I'm watching this, like, I don't think Piper needs to be so worried about finding a career when she gets out of prison because she can always sell Amway. Yeah, she she would be a great salesperson of anything. She's, uh, I think she's at nothing if not uh, charismatic. That's she's like one of those 1% of people that could make multi-level marketing work for her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we also got another moment of fan fiction back in the sweatshop um, with Stella asking Piper all these conveniently correct questions. Yes. Did I write anything down for this? I can't remember. Yeah. It's, it's about oh, the point. Oh, yes, yes, yes. When, the, when Piper starts uh, flirting with uh, the little child. Yes. Baby guard. face Bailey. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It looks like it's working, too. Yeah. Uh, that it's, it was weird and like kind of sexy <laughs> i don't know you fell for it too didn't you taylor i did i <laughs> i would be a lion singer for piper probably yeah 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 uh, i'll take i'll show you where everything is but yeah she's long conning him they'll probably work out just fine yeah it seems like this business is set to thrive yeah and you know she's got her she's got her labor force on board she's got her mule She's got her brother on the outside setting up the website. I mean, she's got yeah. business acumen. Yeah, this is it seems pretty easy. You know, she's got it together. 
Yeah, but there is the one thing that we do not, that she does not seem to have. And that is, she does not seem to have her girlfriend on board with this plan. Alex is uh, having a hard time. Yeah, Alex has some bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Uh, So, unfortunately, uh, my search for uh, who was the mole lasted (laughs) one episode (laughs) because it was totally added for us. But yeah, Anderson Cooper is the mole. Anderson Cooper was the mole the whole time. Oh my um, god, I never would have guessed. <laughs> um, it was yeah. This was kind of a, a little bit more Alex stuff, which wasn't wasn't totally new information, but kind of gave us some uh, you know, some reason to empathize with Alex with her being super paranoid that this guy was going to kill her. Yeah, and I guess. I guess she kind of realizes over the course of that that she has now screwed up worse than the guy that got shot in the head in front of her screwed up, and she knows that she's getting hers at some point. Yes, yes. And uh, it's pretty clear that uh, Lolly is is that person. Yeah, Lolly really has been stalking her. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's not just paranoia. Sometimes they really are out to get you. Yeah, I wonder if this was the plan from the beginning, like from the beginning of season two, or if they wrote this back in to, so they could bring back uh, Tank Girl. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to see Tank Girl either way. Like, I've loved her in everything she's ever been in. Yeah, she's great. I'm happy to have her, even if she is going to kill off Alex, who's like, honestly, I like Alex, so. Alex is okay, but her. if we're going to lose I- somebody, you know. Yeah, I think I really like Laura Prepon, and when she's on on screen, she's always just, like, so interesting. She always yeah. gets the short end of the stick when it comes to casting. Like, I like her as an actress, but I've liked very few of the characters that she has played, if That's that fair. makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, Donna Pinciotti was okay, but she wasn't the most entertaining person on that 70s show. Yeah, not even close. And, yeah, she's so, like, deadpan and... Yeah. I don't know. I, this is probably a good, a better role for her, but definitely she could... Like, I think I think she's, like, you know, one of the greats. Like, she could be a real star, and she's playing second fiddle to yeah. Piper, which is stupid. Yeah, and to be totally fair, if we're doing, like, a ding-merry-kill of, you know, you know, Alex Voss, Donna Pinciotti... And Ted's douchey ex-girlfriend from How I Met Your Mother. You marry Alex Voss, clearly. That, oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And you ding Donna. Yeah. Right. And you killed Ted's new girlfriend. Yes. Yes. So I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're on the same page. In, yeah. If we felt differently, it would be... <laughs> we might have to discontinue the podcast. Right. Yeah. So I thought that a lot of this flashback seemed very unnecessary and very contrived. Agreed. I, like, I tuned out. Let's go out to the fire escape and look at that nice view of the Eiffel Tower that you have from the fire escape at the CD Paris Club. Hey, did you know they're in Paris? Yeah, Come the club on. scene, like, the, like we were, we talked about fan fiction with Ruby Rose, like <laughs> Alex dancing in the, like that felt like fan fiction too, like, like, uh, <laughs> like this drug induced fever dream. It's like, a, it's like a song fic, like someone's writing a vignette, and they yeah. have like their favorite techno song, and they're writing about how Alex gets lost in the music. Yeah, it, it's it just felt so fake, and I was like, okay, I, I, like my notes are just like. <laughs> Drugs, drugs. Alex. <laughs> like, 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 I don't know. Like all my notes are very uh, stream of consciousness. I'm like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> She's on drugs. So 
Yeah. Uh, and we got her her mustache friend got murdered in front of her, which was pretty sad. But yeah, it. I guess. Yeah. Have, always, we, have we it, seen either one of these guys before? I don't remember. Like we easily could have. This is why but, I missed the previously on. Like we need previously on or just the new black. And they show like Lolly in Chicago with Piper, and then they show like the flashback to Alex's life, and she's hanging out with the mustache guy and the toothpick guy. Right. They, um, well, there were there flashbacks last year or the first year of Alex and Piper in the hot tub and traveling with the guys yeah. and stuff. So I would think, like, if we had seen these guys before, that's where they were. But so many of these guys, like, they don't have names or they just offhandedly mention their name one time. And you said the same thing with Orphan Platt. And yeah. that's hard for me. <laughs> I need I need the names thrown in my face every episode or else I'm going to forget. Yeah, and to be honest, they could have totally recast Kubra and I would have had no clue. Because they just, like, oh, yeah. put him in shadow and be like, oh, hi, Kubra. <laughs> Kubra is like, he's like uh, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> he's, not, he's, he's just a voice. Or maybe he's like the Dread Pirate Roberts and there's, like, a different Kubra every time. Oh, that would be kind of cool. It's yes. like Kubra's like a James Bond. It's not like a real person. It's just a code name. There never was just one Kubra. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We'll, we'll work that into our Orange is the New Black fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're getting so many ideas out of this. You know, we we could have them, you know, then they'll go back in time and we could write a crossover with Orphan Black. So then I can stop calling them both by each other's names. Yeah, I think that's inevitable. Or, or there's going to be a Funny or Die parody video or Orphan is the New Black or whatever. That's, yeah, I can't imagine that that hasn't been done. But if it hasn't, I, I claim it. <laughs> yeah, and who would be the best inmate to make many clones of? Um, hmm. Uh, hard to say. I think, like, So-So and the <laughs> Orphan Black girls are, like, kind Kind of, uh, she could like seamlessly switch between those two worlds. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too far on the orphan black path, but so so is totally the Kasima of yes, yes. black. I, I quit orphan black uh, halfway through last year, but I, I'm familiar with all the all the peeps. Yeah, like you know, she's very book smart, not so people smart, and you know, whines a little bit, has a lot of drama, um, and probably makes fatal mistakes. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. So, yeah, I I don't know. I didn't need to necessarily see more backstory on Alex. Like, we get it. She dealt drugs, and she went all around the world, and her mother was proud of her world traveler daughter. And she came from a broken home. Blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah. We knew all this. Like, right? Like, I... Yeah. Yeah. So it I felt like one of those. It felt like one of those lost episodes that was like the fifth Jack flashback, where they show him like making some really minor decision, and he agonizes over it in like five separate flashback scenes, and then makes the wrong decision at the end. Like we had a lot of those when Lost was on. Yeah, it's it just. I don't know. I feel like everything that they told us in the Alex flashback was redundant, and I would have rather. And like I could say, like I like Alex. I like Laura Prepon. I like we could I you know give me like give me the crying lady flashback that's I want something new yeah like who else who else haven't we heard of that we need that we need a flashback from tons of people like a lot um here let me if you want to do this aside right now I can let's let's do it now let's let's talk about who we need to see 
Okay, um, we need uh, another uh, Suzanne flashback. For, for sure, yeah. Yes, all right. Um, we, I'm looking at just the cast list and thinking, all right, I think we, we have a pretty good series wrap on Gloria. Yeah. I would say we need another Black Cindy flashback. <laughs> I would say we need a Caputo flashback. Oh. We need, we need another Pousset flashback. Mm-hmm. Um, we got Flocka. We got Sister Jane. Pretty. We got most of her story. Marissa, we need a Yoka Jones flashback. Yes, very much so. All right, uh, Maritza, uh, Leanne, mm-hmm. Gina. Oh, Gina. Gina yeah, because yeah. we know nothing about Gina. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, crying lady, um, Demarco. Demarco would uh, be interesting too because she seems so grandmotherly. Right. It's and hard to picture these, her. Any of these people deserve a flash, flashback just as much as Chang deserves a flashback. Yeah, although right? the Chang flashback might be, like, I would say the Chang flashback is tied with the Big Boo flashback for best flashback so far this season. Right, and, like, most interesting, and I think that uh, any of these people could, if they can come up with a flashback for Big Blue or for Chang, who we know almost nothing about them in current time, like, they can easily do it for any of these characters. So, like, doubling down on Alex is just seems like a huge waste. Yeah, it, it really does. And I, I get that you're paying Laura Prepon a lot and you need to get the most out of her, but, you know, don't just rehash what we already know. Yeah. Agreed. All right. All right. Back, back to the episode. Yeah, we kind of have two more kind of five-minute vignettes that we had in the episode. Um, uh, one of them, we had Sophia and Gloria are kind of coming to, coming to like, a truce, I guess. Yeah. Because they're both bonding over not being able to be there for their sons and worried about their sons growing up. And I'm glad somebody called Sophia out on that terrible advice that she <laughs> gave to Mike. I know, I know. And Sophia is weird because she's so nice and she really obviously cares about her son, but like also is a criminal and also is not the most morally upstanding person. So how how do you kind of reconcile those two things when you're parenting? Yeah, well, and I think there is a tremendous amount of moral relativism in the series where, you know, we know people operate under like a set of scruples that are very different from maybe the ones that they would have in a perfect world. Right. Yeah, and it would be, it's a little bit tough. I think they both, I think both Sophia and Gloria are interesting in that they really turned to crime out of a real desire to, you know, be the best parent possible. Did what? I can't remember what Sophia was arrested for. Sophia committed a lot of credit card fraud. Okay. And this is, I believe, it's implied that this is how she funded her transition. Oh, yes. That makes sense. I remember that now. That was so long ago. That's why we need another Sophia flashback. That's why we need previously ons. Yes. And, I mean, granted, previously ons are also, if the season finale of Game of Thrones is any indication, they're also an opportunity for producers to troll you epically <laughs> but it would be nice if we could just like show a flashback to you know like Sophia's flashback where she's sitting in Foot Locker with her son using like credit card after credit card right that'd help us remember and you know same thing like let's show let's show Lolly sitting next to Piper on the flight and 
Yeah, anything like that would be helpful. And I understand why they don't need to do it. But now that you're three years into a show, that's different from sitting in on one weekend and watching, you know, 13 episodes. Because no one's sitting in on one weekend and rewatching a show from a year ago or two years ago. Yeah, I mean, the big problem is that you really only care about Orange is New Black for one weekend a year. And then yep. you wait a whole nother year for the next season to come out and you just start in cold with no refresher. And I think they tried to do that with the Mother's Day episode, but there was still a lot of information that we didn't have. Yeah, I think it doesn't hurt to do the previously on. It's three minutes. People can fast forward it. It's Netflix. They have unlimited time anyway. Yeah. Like this, this episode was 59 minutes long, like which is awesome and, you know, the biggest benefit of a Netflix show. So, uh, yeah. I, I would consider it if I were them. Yeah. If they'd have to sit in one of those meetings. <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah. We could cut out a couple of corporate meetings and instead, like, show a little bit of a flashback to previous episodes so we have some context. Yeah. It would not hurt. No one would complain about that. Yeah. And have you noticed, like, when you're watching it on Netflix on a laptop, you can kind of mouse over the timeline and it shows a little thumbnail what's going on? And it's the same thumbnail every time you skip the intro song no well i watch on roku so tell tell me what is the thumbnail like there's like one particular woman who's got her eyes closed and you just kind of follow the thumbnail until you see that one you hit it and all you hear is the cell door slamming and the episode starts perfect so that's that's my pro tip to everybody that's watching this on a laptop very nice do you like the theme song i'm sorry to keep going off i do like well, this is what the podcast is for. We talk about okay. general <laughs> issues related to Orange is the New Black. I do yeah. like the theme song, but if I'm watching several episodes in one day, I don't like the theme song as much. Yeah, that's fair. It's long, and it's it, I like it a lot. I like I'm a big Regina Spector fan, and uh, it's yeah, it's like a real meaningful, gritty title sequence that like yeah, that you, you have to watch thirteen times. Yeah, and it's like. They're hitting you over the head with it again, like, you know, heavy-handed prison stuff. You should care about the issues. <laughs> you should send that one into them. I like that. I like yeah. that ju- just as much. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I watch it a couple of times because I get excited for the show to be back, and then I stop watching it. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I find myself tuning out. Yeah, so, and again... The final thing we need to talk about for this episode is another perfect example of why we need previouslys. Because I keep getting confused by the Daya Aleda dynamic. I did not know that Daya did not know that there was money involved. Right, right. Like I, I'm I glad- she knows her mother. She must have assumed, and she knew her mother met with her. Right? Yeah, she, she knew because Bennett told her. Yeah. And, and she knows, have, her mother, she knows all her mother cares about is getting paid. How did she not know there was money involved? Right. This is very, very, like, yeah, I, uh, like, we know that Daya is not super smart, but there had, like, it blows my mind that this did not come up. Yeah, this is a little bit of a misstep, I think, on the, in the storytelling angle. Although we yeah. did need to have a, we did need to have a point where Daya had a crisis of conscience 
and tells Mama Pornstache that this baby is not Pornstache's. Right. I kind of forgot about that in the last episode when I was like, why would why would she never give up this baby? And then I kind of forgot that, oh, the baby isn't even his. So as yeah. soon as that gets figured out, then uh, <laughs> this would all come crashing down. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Daya effed it up pretty bad. And yeah. now her decision has been made for her. Yeah, it sure seems like it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, good for Diet for kind of taking responsibility for herself and making her own decision. Although, we have said before, we do not think this is the right decision. Yes, and uh, like I said, though, like I really did forget <laughs> that uh, this woman would then be raising someone else's child. But, yeah. Uh, like, uh, yeah, and that Daya she can't keep it together enough to like make this work, you know, no. like she couldn't lie about this forever. And I think that makes way more sense as the moral quandary than like, should this baby be raised by rich people or should it be raised by my grandma? Like that to me, that makes no sense at all. The fact is like, Oh, can I lie to this woman who seems really nice and like really cares? That's the moral dilemma. And that's not what the past four episodes have gone into. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's just like, there's too many angles going on here and not all of them require you to think about the actual right thing to do. Yeah, you're right. Like, I, like it, there's so many shades of gray here that there is no right decision. Daya has already made a series of terrible decisions that she now needs to just make the most okay one that she can. Yeah, yeah. And I did appreciate, um, did you see what she was drawing? In the scene where wow. Aleda comes up to her, she's drawing like a she's drawing a picture of Bennett being torn apart by wild animals. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I should take a screenshot of it because it was really obviously well done and also very funny. That's funny. I, I want to. I want a series wrap on Bennett. I know we kind of. I think we did get that, but uh, I want I want him to come back and face what he did. Yeah, or I want us to just, like, see him peripherally and know he's not having a good time. Yeah, that works, too. <laughs> like, maybe he's maybe he's taking the other shift at the donut shop, because where the hell is he going to work? I don't know. Well, I mean, I think he'll change his identity, probably. And Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't want to face Cesar. That is yeah. for sure. Yep. Although, who knows how much Cesar cares about anybody but himself. Still, yeah, I... It would be funny if he got stuck in, like, that little town next to the prison and he had to take, like, the, you know, the worst job possible, whereas being in the prison is, like, the second worst. <laughs> yeah, so he he's, like, uh, hanging at the bar where all, all the COs go and all that stuff, so they run into him. Yeah, it's like, hey, you know, that, you know... You know, so much drama going on, and they cut our hours and our benefits. Maybe you're better off, dude. And he's like, yeah, I'm totally better off working at Home Depot. <laughs> hey, all right. Put that in the fan fiction notebook. <laughs> yeah. We're writing that one. <laughs> yeah, we're totally... This is this is going to be an, a fan fiction, like, to rival Time Hump Chronicles, I feel. I hope so. Yeah. All right, so that about does it for episode eight, I would say. Yeah, one thing that I liked that we didn't mention was I really liked when Lorna was playing chess and how much yeah. she valued all the pieces uh, individually, all equally. I thought that was really sweet, and I love uh, I love Lorna, so. 
yeah, more that, moments, please. That was very Lorna, and I wouldn't mind getting some more flashbacks of her either. Yeah, I think she's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So if you guys want to engage us on anything we talked here, if you want to quibble with our power rankings or give us some more chapters for our fan fiction, um, you can always find us on postshowrecaps.com. Feel free to leave us some questions or comments. Just find the relevant episode, click on it, and there's a place for you to leave comments at the bottom. You can also leave us reviews. It helps us out a lot if you let us know what you think on the iTunes store. And as always, we are on Twitter. I am at HaymakerHattie. I am at Taylor Collar. We want to hear from you. Like, send us your feedback, positive, negative, other, um, you know, feel free to tell me again how much my audio setup sucks because, you know, we freaking love that. Um, I guess we will rejoin you. Um, at the time of this recording, we are, we still have another five episodes to go, so we will see you again for episode nine. But feel free to get in touch with us at any time um, and let us know about anything at all in the series because by the time you hear this, chances are we will have seen the whole series and we can talk to you about whatever. So thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next episode. See ya. The animals, the animals Trap, trap, trap Till the cages fall The cages fall The day is new And everyone is waiting Waiting on you And you've got time